right, King of Kings, how are we feeling tonight? Okay, not too bad. So for those of you that don't feel so good, listen, we've got a great time after the service that you just heard about. We're going to have fun with that. Um, stay with us, eat sufkon yot and some coffee and hot chocolate. It should be a lot of fun. We're going we're gonna to catch the end of the game. You know, here's, here's the part of service where I normally welcome you, right? So welcome, King of Kings family. You look so lovely tonight in the house. And I also welcome everybody watching online, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, other platforms around the world. Welcome to King of Kings here in Jerusalem. We do have some guests that I do want to mention. Now, I want us to be really careful when you hear these names of which countries are watching tonight online, right? So we're here in the house. We're, we're, we're in Israel. Here we are. But we bless the people watching. These are at least the people who told us they were watching. We got people from Austria and Brazil. Okay. Canada and Finland. Yeah, see, that's Pastor Vako and Ula. They're in Finland today, so we know you guys are watching online. France. You see, what I was expecting there for France... Because France is in the finals tonight, I was expecting a little bit better response from the French. I'm not sure y'all deserve to win tonight. Ireland, Italy, Kenya, the Netherlands, the Philippines, Singapore, Slovakia, Switzerland, Tanzania. Wow, welcome Tanzanians. Trinidad and Tobago, uh, United Kingdom, USA, over Israel. But you know what I didn't, you know what I didn't read right there? I didn't read anybody from Argentina. Is there anybody from Argentina in the house tonight? Wow, we're safe. We can pick on Argentina tonight. How about that? Nobody will know. They're not watching. You're not in the house either. Wow. We're going to have fun with this one tonight. So praise the Lord. Let's start with the miracle. This is Hanukkah tonight. By the end of the sermon, we're going to light the Hanukkah candles just before we dismiss you tonight. And um, it's, a, it's a holiday of miracles, and so I want to start with a miracle. Praise the name of the Lord. We had a testimony last night by a Jewish believer here in the land. They were recounting when they came to the Lord. Prior to their time with the Lord, they had come from an alcoholic family. They were introduced to alcohol as a 13-year-old. They were a full alcoholic by the time they were out of high school. When they went to college, they were fully immersed into the drug culture. Now, what that means is it doesn't mean only marijuana. They went on to tell us a lot more about what was going on in their life with heroin and cocaine and things like this. Fully addicted, couldn't get out, tried doctors, tried different uh, programs and hospitals, tried to get out. And then one day, one of their uh, uh, facility managers invited them to go to a worship service. And at that worship service, this person gave their heart to the Lord and immediately was healed of all drug addiction in their life. Isn't that amazing? God is a God of miracles, guys. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, it was great to hear that testimony last night as we were uh, anticipating Hanukkah. And uh, we're going to be praying for those kind of miracles for you too. You know, this is a holiday of miracles, and this is a time we should be testifying of all of the good things that God has done in our life. You've joined us tonight as we're in the middle of a series called We Are the Temple. You can catch some of those on archive if you may have missed a week or two there. Also be in prayer for several of our, our family members, uh, not just my family, but beyond are sick. 
I have a sick one today as well. Pastor Wayne is very sick with the flu today, uh, and it's been spreading. We've had bronchitis throughout the congregation um, and the flu, and then even a couple of more corona things popped up this week. Come on. So we don't need any of that in the name of Yeshua. Be healed by Yeshua's name and his blood. Our key verse, so you can turn here, our key verse that launched this series is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And in our series, we have covered so far how we connect with the temple itself. We talked about being people that house the presence of God inside of us as a gift. We've talked about the Ark of the Covenant, the seven-branch menorah, the altar of burnt offering, and then last week, the bronze laver. And we had this time of deep corporate confession. You say, normally you would say repentance. Well, repentance is found at the burnt offering altar, but confession is found at the bronze laver where you wash the hands and you confess out loud the sins. And sometimes you do that with accountability because other people can hear you. And certainly when you bring animals to the altar, everyone can see. This is a Part of it's a public thing. Now, a lot of it's a private thing too, but part of it is a public thing. And we mentioned that. But today, of course, we are entering the festival of Hanukkah, also called the festival of lights or the feast of dedication. Many of us as believers know this already in terms of the background, but if you're new to the faith, I want you to understand that Yeshua himself celebrated this holiday. It's not a commanded holiday in the Bible, it's not one of the seven commanded days. But it is a holiday that Yeshua found worthy enough to participate in himself. We read the account in John chapter 10, verse 22 and 23. It says, Then came the festival of dedication, or Hanukkah, at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Yeshua was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Messiah, tell us plainly. So Yeshua answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You see, Yeshua confirmed to the Jewish leaders on Hanukkah that he, in fact, was the Messiah, and then he confirmed that he had told them this before. So it wasn't the first time. He confirmed it, but it wasn't the first time that he was saying, I'm the Messiah. He was saying, and remember, I've told you this before. So never let someone try to trick you or deceive you into thinking that Yeshua never claimed that he was the Messiah. He claimed it. Never let them tell you he never claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. He was very clear on that. Remember when they, they sought to stone him after he did miracles? And he said, for which one of these miracles are you stoning me? And they said, not because of the miracles. We're stoning you because you claim to be God. So he claimed to be the Messiah multiple times, and he was very open about his claim to be divine. Now, just in case you do not know the background of Hanukkah, it's a festival of dedication because of the story of the Maccabee family and the Jewish revolt against the Syrian Greek Empire and the rulers of the dynasty of the Seleucids. It's basically a story where Israel beat the Seleucids in a, in a game of football. 
right? We're rooting for Israel in that football game. No, that's a joke. It was not a football game. It was serious business. This empire had taken over, and they had corrupted a holy place. And I want you to hear me because I'm going to come back to that theme several times tonight. The idea that something tries to corrupt a holy place. And remember, you are the temple of God. Don't forget that. We're going to marry those two thoughts. Satan trying to corrupt a holy place, and you are the temple of God. You can see what he's after, right? You can see the enemy's strategies quite easily. In this story, uh, the priestly family of Jews was organized, and they had a successful rebellion against the Seleucid ruler Antiochus IV. And then they reconsecrated the temple that had been defiled in Jerusalem. They rededicated this temple after many years of it being defiled by pagan practices, many times that were carried out specifically because they were in violation of the Torah. Thus, it became intentional against God. It was intentional. Some of the practices weren't just happened to be practices that violated the Torah. They did it on purpose. Now, there are a lot of pagan practices that do violate the Torah, but the ones that they did, that Antiochus did, and that he commanded, they were on purpose. They knew the scriptures, and they did things opposite on purpose to defile a holy place. It wasn't an accident. They didn't stumble into it. There was a plan to defile a holy place. This is an interesting tie-in to our series on the temple. Now, this particular temple the one that the Maccabees had rededicated to the Lord, it was the second temple. Let's remember where we are in the timeline a little bit. We also call this sometimes Zerubbabel's temple. So as a quick review, here's the order of the various national houses of worship in Israel's history. First, we have the tabernacle that was built in the desert. Remember, Moses got the word of the Lord. Do it exactly after the pattern you saw. So Moses put out a request to the people, bring me the supplies we're going to need. We're going to need to build this tabernacle after what the Lord commanded. And they brought so much, he had to stop them and say, that's enough. We have enough. And they built the tabernacle exactly the way the Lord had instructed them to so that the glory of the Lord fell down on the tabernacle. He said, I bless this. I'm part of what you're doing. That was the tabernacle in the desert. And then we were followed by the first temple built by Solomon. It wasn't designed by Solomon. It was, it was designed by Solomon's father, David. But Solomon was the one that was allowed to build it. Then we had uh, many generations of sin and disobedience and corruption in Israel. God allowed us to be conquered by invading armies. We were sent into exile so that we could refocus. We need him again. There's a great place for needing God in our life. And we finally, as a peoplehood, came to the place of needing God again. We cried out to him. He delivered us from those foreign nations, brought us back to the land of Israel, where we built the second temple. Again, this is what we call Zerubbabel's temple. Later, it was that same second temple that Herod expanded and renovated, but it's this second temple that we're talking about tonight for Hanukkah. It's that one. It's not the tabernacle. It's not David and Solomon's temple. It's the second temple before the renovation. 
So this is Zerubbabel's temple, the second temple. Now, the third temple hasn't been built yet. If you consider Herod's reconstruction a temple 2B, then temple 3 has not been built yet. And, of course, we also noted that there is a tabernacle and a temple in heaven, apparently, because this is what the prophets saw. So that gives you the history and the rundown. But the tabernacle and the temple both have an important history of dedications. And I don't know if you've ever looked at it and studied it in sequence. It's pretty remarkable how they dedicated the houses of the Lord. So let's start with the tabernacle. The tabernacle was used for about 480 years. 480 years. What a miracle that a tent lasted 480 years. Has anybody here in the house tonight ever camped out for Sukkot? Yeah. How's your tent doing? Yeah, you might get a season or two out of that sucker. If you've got kids, you might only get one season out of it. But even if you get multiple, let's say you get three years out of your tent, you're doing good. That's a good investment. They got 480 years out of this because the Lord said, make it like I said, and when you do things the way I say to do them, look at the miraculous life you get to live. That's a lesson for us. If you will do it the way God said to, you get to live a miraculous life. Or you can disregard the Word of God. You can pretend it's not for you. You can throw away more than half of the Bible and decide it's not for you. Live your own way. Try to figure it out. And when you're done figuring all of that out and you realize there's nothing there, come on back. We're waiting. Right? It's not that we're perfect. By, by no means are we perfect. But the believers in this room, even though we're a room full of imperfect people, when we mess up, we know where to go. We know what to do. We know who to talk to. And it leads to life. The tabernacle was about uh, 480 years in use. Look at this set of verses from Numbers chapter 7, 1 through 3, about what happened when they dedicated the tabernacle when they were finished. Numbers chapter 7. When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed and consecrated it in all of its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all of its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of families who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted, made offerings. They brought as their gifts before the Lord six covered carts and twelve oxen, an ox from each leader and a cart from every two. These they presented before the tabernacle. The tabernacle was also dedicated on the first day of the first month of God's calendar. Guys, we talk about this a lot. I want you to catch it one more time. The tabernacle was dedicated on the first day of the first month of God's calendar. Why is that important? Because God's calendar matters. It matters when he sets up a way of life if you live in that way of life. It matters. His calendar matters. His days matter. His commandments matter. 
And the more we can connect with those elements, the more miraculous life we get to live. Or you can do it on your own calendar. You can try it your own way. You can try to figure out or make up something of your own. But you're going to end up right back here at some point saying it didn't work. Because only God's way works. The creator told us how he created it to work. Now, all of the leaders of Israel were present at this dedication. I found that interesting. And each one brought gifts to the dedication service of the tabernacle. Every one of them brought a sacrifice to represent the tribes. They were pledging submission to God, a commitment to follow his ways in worship, in sacrifice, in obedience, and in ritual. You see, Israel has an important history of gathering all of the leaders together. And this was a pattern when major national decisions were being made, they gathered all of the tribal leaders. It's a very important pattern in the Bible. As a matter of fact, when the first covenant was presented to Israel as a nation, we find that text in Exodus chapter 19. Verse 7 and 8 say this. So Moses, you see, God came to Moses and said, I want to make a covenant with my people. And Moses did not have the right to speak on behalf of all the people. What Moses said was, okay, God, I hear the covenant offer. Let me go to talk, go talk to the elders and the tribal leaders, and we will come back with an answer. And this is what happens. It says in verse 7, Exodus 19, So Moses went back and he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. You see, that wasn't Moses' answer. It was all of the people's answer given to them from the representative leaders of the tribes. It's important when all of the leaders get together. It's a national concern when they all get together. And they were all getting together for the dedication of the tabernacle. But that's not the only time it happens. It happens again in Joshua 24 when there's the renewal of the covenant at Shechem. Joshua 24, verse 1. Remember, a whole generation has passed now. A second generation has risen. It says, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before the Lord. And it was in that moment they renewed the covenant that Moses had led them into. But again, they did it as a national unification of leadership. This is what they did at the dedication of the tabernacle. It's an important pattern. It's almost like in Israel when they need to pass a very important law, they've got to get all of the Knesset members together. Like you, don't, you can't vote if they're all missing. You've got to get them all together. It's not enough to just have a few of them. You've got to have all of them there. And that's really what was happening here. They were, it was like getting all the Knesset members together, all the MKs. Right? The ministers of the Knesset. The tabernacle, 480 years. What a dedication. But then we get to the first temple. This is David's design, Solomon's build. The first temple was used for 410 years. So the tabernacle was actually used longer than the first temple. Did you know that? What a miracle. 
David wanted to build a permanent house for God. God said to David, I didn't ask for this. And David said, I know you didn't ask, but you deserve it. God saw David's heart and said, I'll let you do it. It's not what I, not what I asked for, but I'm going to let you do it. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7. Solomon ends up building the, the temple, and he dedicates the temple to the Lord. But in this particular instance, this becomes one of the most elaborate ceremonies in the history of Israel. Pay attention to this. It is one of the most elaborate ceremonies in the whole history of Israel, the dedication of the first temple. I'm in the book of Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 5. This is 2 Chronicles 7. Five, and King Solomon offered, this is at the dedication, he offered a sacrifice of 22,000 heads of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. And so the king and all of the people dedicated the temple of God. I know it could just zoom right over your head. I read that. Chad, I've read that a bunch of times. A whole bunch of animals were killed, and it's, it's a temple, very cool day. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goat. Do you know how long it takes to sacrifice an animal? Do you know how many people would have had to work on duty to do that? I'm wondering, did they not call in every priest from the entire nation has to come and help us? That's 142,000 sacrifices in one day for the dedication of the temple. This was a big deal. It was a serious moment to dedicate a holy place. Then, as we return from exile, we start to build the second temple. Yes, it's a little bit smaller. It's not as fancy. Its footprint is not as big. The older generation even looked at it with a little bit of like, oh, man, that's, that's not bad. But I can remember the one Solomon built. Some of them cried when they saw it. We're not sure why they cried. Maybe their heart was touched. They were moved. But maybe some of them were like, oh, that's not as good as the old one. It said the young people rejoiced because they didn't remember the old one. They were just happy to have one. And in that moment... They had a dedication. And the second temple, even though it was smaller, was used for 600 years. Isn't that amazing? The smaller one gets used longer than the big one. The tabernacle was used longer than the biggest one. Isn't that amazing? What God can do when you let him. Now, as we return from exile, we're building this second temple. And in Ezra chapter 6, we see the dedication Ezra 6, 15 through 18, the temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered 100 bulls and 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, one for each one of the tribes. That's what they did you know, back in um, the tabernacle. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem according to what is written in the book of Moses. So that's not bad either. 
That was a lot of sacrifices going on. That's a pretty big ceremony. Not as much as temple number one, but quite a number of ceremonial sacrifices going on. What's the point? The point is when we dedicate something to God, it should be a big deal. When you dedicated your life to the Messiah, it should be a big deal. There's a celebration in heaven. We know that. But life has to change. We don't get to live the way we used to live. When we dedicate something to the Lord, it should be a big deal. Now, during that second temple period, that's where we are today on Hanukkah, the story of the Maccabee and the revolt. Our people fell into great sin again and rebellion, and unfortunately, the invading armies came in again and took over Israel on multiple occasions. This is the backdrop of the story. One text reads this way. Ancient sources recount that Antiochus outlawed the Jewish religion and ordered the Jews to worship Greek gods. But in the year 168 B.C., his soldiers descended upon Jerusalem, massacring thousands of people and desecrating the city's holy second temple by erecting an altar to Zeus and sacrificing pigs within its sacred walls. You see, he did that on purpose. That was very intentional. Putting Zeus in the temple where the commandment is, have no graven image. So he put one there. Have no unclean animal. So he took the most unclean animal that he could find and sacrificed it. Very intentional. And once the Maccabees led the successful Jewish revolt, they cleaned up the temple. They worked to put all of the articles back into place where they were supposed to go after the law of Moses. This included setting up the seven-branch menorah and finding the oil to help light it or relight it. But as the story goes, there was only enough pure oil to meet the requirements for one day. They prayed to the Lord, and the Lord allowed it to last eight days. Why? Because when you do things the way the Lord says, you get to live in a situation of miracles. That's the lesson we're supposed to take away from this. Dedicating something to the Lord should be a big deal. And when you do it God's way, you get to live inside of miracles. You don't have to live inside of miracles. Go do it your own way if you don't like miracles. I happen to like them. Some of us need them. I'm thinking of several families right now just in our midst and Several families, I know, we need them. We've been praying for you. We're going to continue to pray for you until your miracle arrives. I gave you the miracle of the, of, of the person who got delivered from a lifestyle of hardcore drug addiction because she said yes to Yeshua. She dedicated something. She said yes, and she got a miracle. And there's others of us that need that same miracle. Praise the Lord. Sometimes the miracles seem really dramatic like that, and they come overnight. Some of you know the testimony of my father that he was a lifelong smoker. And he came to the Lord. The Lord gave him a sign. It was, it was, it was a, unique, a unique situation because he asked for a sign. And he was parked in the parking lot, having just come out of a church service, having heard the gospel, and he was like, what do I do with this? I'm a Jewish fellow. What do I do with this? He said, I need a sign, God, that that's true. And he couldn't think of a sign. 
He couldn't think of what to ask. And then all of a sudden it dawned on him that, that he, he remembered Moses, and Moses got a sign, and he said, well, you gave Moses the, the burning bush. I want that one. And he was, he was parked in the parking lot next to a forest, and the forest caught on fire. And that's how my dad came to faith. Miracles. They're real. They've happened in my life. Sometimes they're big and they're dramatic, and sometimes they're a little bit at a time. We were dealing with the family right now, current situation, right now. Got one of their children walked away from the Lord, living a life you don't even want to hear about. Cut the parents off. Won't talk to the parents at all. Months go by. No, no conversation. Parents don't even know where they are. And we're praying together. All of us as a team, as a family, as a community, we're praying for the situation. And not every miracle happens Im immediately like that. But in this particular case, all of a sudden, the estranged child, out of nowhere, after months of silence, texted the parents. Then a few months later, texted them again. And then they would allow a few texts to go back and forth. Oh my goodness, a couple of weeks ago, the child called. Then we got word that the child called again. Then the child called every day for two weeks. Remember, a year ago, this child wanted nothing to do with their family. And we prayed. And a miracle is in the middle of happening right now. So the other day, this child was at work and was feeling horrible, was feeling depressed, wanted to go back to the old lifestyle, wanted, wanted the drugs that they had been part of before. And they said, I can't be happy. I don't know how to be happy. And the thought dawned on this child, your parents are always happy. Why don't you call them? And they called. And when they called, they said, I just called because I, I couldn't figure out how to get happy. But I knew you, knew you knew how. Great testimonies. Not every miracle happens in the blink of an eye, but sometimes it does. And sometimes miracles take a little longer. Stay with it. There is nothing that's going to stand against a community that prays. And if you need something in prayer, we want you to email us because if we bombard heaven together, we always win. Don't try to do it alone. You were never designed to do it that way. Use us. We're telling you, use us. You want hundreds and hundreds of us praying all at one time. I promise you, that's the miracle you want. We pray at kkcj.org if you need a miracle. I would expect this week that you flood our inbox with the miracle that you need. Otherwise, I'm going to consider that you have a perfect life and you'll be preaching next week instead of me. In the Babylonian Talmud, it says this. After Hanukkah, it says, The following year, these days were appointed a festival with the recital of the Hillel, which is Jewish praise, recited on all festivals and with thanksgiving. And since then, the festival of Hanukkah has been celebrated each year, beginning on the 25th of Kislev. And during these days, 
lamentation for the dead and fasting are forbidden, Hillel is recited and the menorah is lit. No sad people in the house tonight. That's a rule. It's kind of the same rule you get on Sukkot, right? Remember it's four times festival of joy? No one is allowed to mourn. I love that holiday. I get to tell my kids about it. Dad, no, it's Sukkot. I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to hear it today. I want shoulders back, head up, smile on the face. But dad, I'm no. Turn it around. Go back in your room, and when you're happy, come back out. Dad, that's, that's not very sweet of you. Yes, but it's obeying the voice of the Lord. One of the rare times I get to use that. Now listen, throughout the Bible, there's a pattern of dedicating things, right? The Bible contains a very clear process of dedicating many things, like a child. You dedicate a child to the Lord. You dedicate a, a, a male child through an eight-day circumcision. This dedicates that boy to the Lord. The firstborn males are also always dedicated to the Lord, according to Exodus 13. The firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born, both humans and animals, belong to me, says the Lord. There's a, such a thing called the Nazarite vow of dedication. That means you dedicate a period of your life to the Lord and to the Lord only. There's a dedication. That's found in Numbers chapter 6. The priests were dedicated to the Lord before they were allowed to practice in, in their leadership. We've dedicated places, people, days, years, dates, holidays, utensils, you name it. In the Bible, we dedicate it. Why? Because the Lord dwells in holiness. And the more we can dedicate something, a space, a place, a heart, a utensil, the more we can dedicate something to the Lord, he'll dwell in that holiness. That's why the enemy is trying to get us to corrupt the holy places, because he doesn't want the presence of God there. And don't forget, you're the temple of God. You're a place that is supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. You're a place of holiness. Unrighteousness cannot live inside of you because your Father is there. Listen to what it says in Psalms chapter 4, verse 5, uh, 4 and 5. Psalm 5, 4 and 5. For you are not a God who is pleased with the wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. And you hate all who do wrong. You know, probably a better translation, if you'll get it right from the heart of God there, is, isn't so much that you hate the people doing wrong, so much as, as it is you hate the wrong that people are doing. God doesn't hate them. He hates what they're doing. Habakkuk chapter uh, 1, verse 13 your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing, which is why the enemy wants to desecrate holy places, things that are dedicated to the Lord. And just like the tabernacle and the temple, God wants to dwell in us. We are now the temple, but he cannot dwell with us if sin is persistently present without repentance and cleansing. Are we going to fall? Yes, 
Do I fall? Every day. I promise you every day. In some way or another, I fall. My guess is that you do too. But with repentance, with a humility, with going back to the Lord, with saying, forgive me, God, I, I, I accept the blood of Yeshua to pay the price that I should have paid for this. There's a cleansing. There's a holiness that comes over us. There's a pronouncement of righteousness from God's mouth that says, you are now righteous. You are dedicated to me. I can dwell in you because you're dedicated to me. God loves everyone. But he doesn't love everyone's sin. And that's, that's a message that's trying to be distorted today. And I want to just kind of focus for just a moment on that distortion. God will allow you to come as you are, but you don't get to stay that way. God loves every person, but he doesn't love their sin. You might be bringing sin to the cross... But then it dies. It doesn't live. Come on, somebody needed to hear that. I just came up with that on my own. That was right in my head, maybe from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say it again. That felt good. I'm going to say that one more time. You might bring sin to the cross, but that's where it dies. It doesn't live in our life. Somebody write that down. I'm going to write that down. That was a pretty good one right there. I like it. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit inspired. Praise the Lord. You see, the fallacy is that this argument that you can be saved and continue living the way you want to live or continue to live in sin and, and that God doesn't care about that somehow, this fallacy is a problem because it mixes the love of God with the holiness of God. And it, and it mixes the idea of God's love versus God's forgiveness of sin. And it has trouble separating God's love from sin itself. And in an uneducated way, it starts to say, well, you can have the love of God and you can have the salvation of God and continue to sin. No, you cannot. You will always have the love of God because God loves every person he's ever created. Even the most evil of his children, he still loves them. That doesn't mean his holiness dwells with them. It doesn't mean his presence is with them. It doesn't mean that they get to come in and out of his presence behind the veil. No, that only comes through the blood of Yeshua. But he still loves them. God wants and he demands repentance and an effort on our part toward holiness and obedience. Now, it's not that our obedience wins our salvation. No, but if you love me, Obey me. Because obedience means trust. Trust means love. And that's what God is after. John chapter 14 tells us that. Let me give you the key phrase of the night. God demands full dedication to him, not half-hearted, convenient affiliation. Too much of the world professing to be believers today, they have not understood the concept of dedication. They don't understand the concept of consecration, that once you are dedicated to the Lord, sin dies in your life. The old man is dead. The new one has risen. When you went through the waters and you came up, the old man died. You don't get to do the things you did before. And dead person 
A dead person doesn't have anger. A dead person isn't envious. They're not jealous. A dead person doesn't steal. He doesn't hurt other people because they're dead. And we're called to live like that. That when you have the thought that says, I want to do something in violation of the scripture or in violation of someone else, you say, no, I am dead to that. I am dedicated to the Lord. God demands full dedication to himself, not half-hearted, convenient affiliation. What that means is I'm okay serving the Lord as long as it's convenient for me. I'm here to tell you, you may not have heard the gospel the right way. The real gospel of Yeshua sounds like this. I am giving you a free gift that's going to cost you everything. Our closing scripture. Revelations chapter 3, 15 and 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm and you're stuck in the middle, neither hot nor cold, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. You see, you don't really get to live a life of kind of dedicated. There's no such thing as kind of dedicated. There's no such thing as kind of saved. Kind of like there's no such thing as kind of married. Right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Are you in or are you out? Are you, you know... We joked on the men in the room when we said, you know, that would be a funny conversation to have with a, a young lady. I, I kind of want to be engaged to you. Well, she might kind of give you a kiss. You know, you never know. Full dedication, in or out, all the way, nothing in the middle. God will not accept anything else. And the reason why he demands that level of dedication on this feast of dedication is because that's how dedicated he is to you. And there has to be a reciprocating level of relationship. He's fully dedicated to you. You must be fully dedicated to him. This dedication embraces a full devotion of something. In this case, we're talking about Yeshua as the Messiah. He's our Messiah. We're his followers. I'm wondering, is there anything in our lives today that needs to be rededicated like the temple was at Hanukkah. Perhaps there was something that at once time was in order and now it's out of order. It needs to be checked. Sometimes we neglect things in our life that they come back around and plague us later. They become challenges that don't have to be challenges. God ends up using them for His glory. But only if we dedicate our life to the Lord. If you want to live a life of miracles, if you're one of the people that said, I've never seen one, I've heard about them, I've read about them, my encouragement to you is this. As you read the Bible, every instruction you come across, do it. Stop trying to figure out a way that you don't have to do it. King David said, the word of the Lord is perfect. It converts my soul. He's not trying to get out of anything. We're trying to get into it. What, a, what an idea that would change our life. 
read an instruction, do the instruction. And see what happens. Hallelujah. It's a joyful holiday of miracles. I've given you a couple of great present day miracles. Natalie, you're going to come and help me light the Hanukkah tonight. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu chagim minhagim umuadim lesimcha lahagdil et daat Adonai velivnot otano leumuna kedusha v'naalah Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us holidays and customs and times of happiness to increase the knowledge of God and to build us up in our most holy faith. ברוך אתה אדוני אלוהינו מלך העולם שיעשה ניסים לאבותינו בימים ההם בעונה זו שאנו מדליקים את נרות החנוכה בזיכרון. Blessed are you Lord our God, King of the universe who performed miracles for our fathers in those days at this season for which we light the Hanukkah lights in remembrance. And because it's the first night of Hanukkah now, ברוך אתה אדוני אלוהינו מלך העולם שהחיינו וקיימנו והגיענו לזמן הזה. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who granted us life, sustained us, and permitted us to reach this season. Thank you, Natalie. Father, we love you. You're good to us. We want to commit ourselves to you. In a significant way today, we, we may not have 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep and goat, but God, we give you our life today. We give you every thought. We give you every breath. We give you every day, every Shabbat, every holiday. We give it to you. We give you our families, our spouses, our children. We give you our work and our finances, our talents and our abilities. God, we dedicate all of these things to you. We never want to come into your house empty-handed. We give ourselves completely consecrated to you today. Forgive us of sin, Yeshua. Take the sin away. Remove the idols of Zeus in our life. Remove the pig-stained articles in our life. And set back into order the commanded articles of the temple in our heart. Cleanse us today in the name of Yeshua as we worship. Amen and amen. Pastor Ray, you're going to lead us in a traditional song for Hanukkah. Amen. <laughs> 